This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. We had a yard sale this weekend. It was a, a nice weekend to be sitting out in the afternoon. The mornings were so chilly. As we were thinking about what we wanted to put out in the driveway for other people to come and decide whether they wanted to make it theirs, we were looking through some of the clutter that we wanted to get rid of the house and get out of the house. And my wife came across a couple of uh, notebooks that were mine when I was a child. Uh, one of them had, had some doodles and drawings in it. My wife said, hey, I've, I found these old notebooks. And as soon as she said it, I had this, this moment from my past come to the front of my memory. It was uh, when I was maybe, maybe five years old. I was with my mom. My older sisters were in school. And my mom needed her haircut, so she took me along with her to the salon, which is not a great place to take a five-year-old boy, but handled it well. I remember I was sitting on the floor in the waiting room with a side table. I had these little notepads, crayons, pencil, and I was drawing a picture, a picture that I, I had drawn many times. And I remember the, the stylist coming and and making some comment about what I was doing. And I said, oh, I'll, I'll draw you a picture. I need you to understand that me as a, a five-year-old, I was a bit of a show-off. I thought that I was hilarious, and, and I just love to be the center of attention. You can tell nothing has changed. I said, I would love to draw you a picture. And I started drawing this picture that I had drawn before. I knew exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. I took shapes and made them into the form of a pig, big circle in the middle with a belly button, arms and legs splayed out like a starfish, head on top with a little pig snout, a smile under the pig snout, little triangle ears, a little curly tail off to the side, and I wrote four letters at the top, U-P-I-G, U-Pig. It was, it was my, my, my little gag that I would play on people. I would just like take my time drawing this picture and then hand it to them like, ha, gotcha. And people would laugh, and I thought it was the funniest thing. I handed this, this pig to this stylist, and instead of laughing, she looked horrified. My five-year-old brain could not comprehend the complexities of the female mind. <laughs> Receiving this paper from a toddler, and then processing why I would decide to call her a pig, but suddenly in that moment, I was made aware of how wrong I was. And my mom reinforced how wrong I was all the way home. That memory comes to my mind from time to time. It's, it's a regret that I have. I have more than just that one. The rest aren't as funny. But there are things in life that, that bring them to the forefront of my mind. Things, just innocent things that, that bring these memories playing back over and over again. Sometimes they keep me awake at night. This constant replaying of things that I wish I had done differently. Things that I wish I could take back. Sometimes they're even uh, very recent events, interactions with people, conversations that I've had that I really regret the way that they played out. And I 
And I think about how I would do things differently if I had another chance. I think about what, what would be the product of never having said the things that I've said, maybe. And I'm lying awake trying to resolve the tension that I've caused by my own carelessness. Have you ever had one of those restless nights? Lying awake, knowing that you want so desperately to sleep, knowing that you need sleep, you've got things to do the next day, and yet this playback just won't stop. What do you do when you're awake, when you can't get those things to turn off? You get up and read a book. I do that sometimes. Turn a light on. Maybe get a a cup of hot milk. I've heard people drink hot, like warm milk to put themselves to sleep. That sounds disgusting. I just, I've never done that. I can't imagine doing it. Maybe, maybe a cup of hot tea, decaf, would help you relax and calm your stomach, maybe. But warm milk just doesn't sound like it would work to me. We all have ways that we, we try and overcome these tensions to relax ourselves, to distract ourselves so that we can, we can sleep. We turn in the book of Proverbs and we hear, Advice from Solomon in the third proverb about how peaceful sleep can come. We'll begin reading in verse 20, 21. If you want to turn with me there in your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. If you want to use the YouVersion app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley and find our scripture and sermon notes for the sermon today. Here's what he said. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you. An ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. There's Solomon's prescription for a good night's sleep. It's confidence that helps us sleep. Confidence that comes from discretion, from, from choosing our words and our actions carefully, from, from letting wisdom and understanding be a part of our lives, sound judgment and discretion. This is what gives us the confidence to know that the Lord is with us, guarding our paths as we surrender to him, keeping us from having these regrets that, that play, and instead knowing that when we put our head down to rest, that sleep will be sweet. Discretion. As we, as we learn to, to continue walking in wisdom, discretion is one of these words that Solomon has placed before us to strive for. If we're to define discretion, it's the ability to make responsible decisions, carefully considering all of the circumstances, also considering the consequences that might come if we were to choose to do or to say what we're thinking about. It's especially relevant when we use this caution to reserve or restrain our speech, even to the point that it calls for silence. That's my paraphrase of a very long definition. But think about discretion being a restraint that guards us from regret, that, that keeps us from blurting out, sometimes that, that reminds us that silence is best. The wisdom of discretion calls us to practice this kind of restraint. And we begin thinking about restraining ourselves from, from impulses, from being impulsive, God bless you, from making impulsive decisions. It means we think carefully before we act, before we speak. 
we begin to recognize that the first thing that pops into our brain is probably not the best thing to say. I've spent a number of years in youth ministry, and this impulsiveness is the definition of being a junior high student. Just saying whatever comes to mind, doing the first thing that pops into your brain, this, this impulsive kind of action without considering circumstance, without considering consequences. If you know a junior higher, you're probably painfully aware of the way this impulsiveness just drives them. As we learn restraint, part of that process is taking a step back and evaluating those impulses and keeping ourselves from saying those things and doing those things and recognizing they're not the wisest. This discretion that helps us evaluate those things so we don't act impulsively. I've often heard this described described it myself as, uh, especially in terms of our speech, of, of installing a filter between our brain and our mouths, a filter that would catch all of those things that we think but we shouldn't say. If you've ever done laundry, you run a load through the dryer, you know there's a filter that you pull out and you have to get all the lint off the filter. That filter catches the lint from clogging up the exhaust, from damaging things in the dryer, from, from causing a fire, real danger. The filter... <laughs> And your brain works the same way. It, it would catch all of those, those things that you think but you shouldn't say, things that would cause damage, things that would create a dangerous situation if you actually blurted them out loud. That filter has to be installed properly, get a nice tight fit so nothing gets around it, making sure that we restrain our speech and not always say those things that pop into our, our brains. Restraint also keeps us from going farther than we want to, from going faster than we want to. We were pulled up behind a, a, a commercial truck and read on the back, uh, there's a governor installed, my, my max speed is 65 miles per hour. Uh, some, some vehicles that are used for business have governors installed on the engine that will limit their speed. And you can put the pedal to the floor, and when that vehicle gets to 65, it's not going to go any faster. The only way you can get it to go faster is if you're at the top of a hill when you hit 65 and you pick up a little bit without the need of the engine. You just The momentum of gravity carries you beyond. Restraint acts in our lives like, like a governor, helping us realize those places where we, we need to hit the brakes. And sometimes we don't realize that that we've gone too fast, too far, until we've already, we've already exceeded our limits. And we look back and say, ooh, should not have said that, should not have done that. Restraint holds us within those boundaries, helping us avoid those mistakes. Restraint also keeps us from repeating the, the same mistakes that we've made in the past. The past is an excellent teacher. We look back and think about the way that we've lived our lives, the conversations we've had, the interactions we've had, and, and the memories that come very often are regrets. And there's pain associated with those memories. There's tension. And that pain and tension helps us understand that we shouldn't do those things again. And we learn very clearly from the past, remembering those regrets. And we become better people through those lessons. Have you ever thought about what you would say to your younger self? If you go back in time with everything that you know now and have a conversation with 14-year-old you, what kinds of things would you tell that younger version of yourself? What advice would you give to yourself 
to navigate the difficulties of life, to avoid some of the, the regrets that you have. It's, it's interesting to think about how we might grow, how we might avoid those things if, if we could become aware of them. As we turn uh, to Proverbs chapter 4, we read some of Solomon's advice that he provides, speaking as if he were talking to his own son, remembering who he was when he was a young man and, and hearing his father's advice. Solomon then provides more advice through those recollections and memories. Beginning in verse 20, we read those words. As we read this passage together, I want to I ask you to listen for words of caution. And then once we get done, I'll tell you the, the words I picked out and you can see if they match yours. Let's begin in verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. I hear the words that I picked out, words of caution from these verses. First, guard your heart. Second, keep your mouth free from perversity. Third, give careful thought to the paths for your feet. Guard your heart, guard your mouth, guard your path. A very potent series, a natural progression for our lives, recognizing how important it is for us to live with this kind of restraint. First, that we would recognize the, the importance of protecting our hearts from the things that we pour into it, of, of evaluating those things and being careful about what, what we allow to influence our hearts, knowing that everything we do flows, that our words and our actions flow out of or are affected by that influence. So we think about all the, all the people that we allow close to us influencing our hearts, all of the all of the things that we pour into our lives, affecting our hearts, changing our perspective, affecting our words and our actions. And we think uh, about the things today that are different than the days of Solomon and how prevalent entertainment is, how we spend our time in front of a screen pouring into our hearts the things that we view. If we are pouring things in that are full of profanity. Notice how difficult it becomes for us to keep our mouths clean. If we're pouring into our hearts sexual content, how much greater those temptations become when we're pouring into our hearts violence. How we become angry and hostile in our interactions when we instead would turn the coin over, and think about what would happen if we poured into our hearts the Word of God, spending, dedicating time, allowing God's Word to permeate our lives, how that would affect our words and our actions, how we begin talking about the love of God, sharing the truth with people that we talk to. What would happen if we poured into our hearts significant time in the presence of God in prayer, lifting up the, the, the things of life and trusting God with our worries and our burdens, 
how that would affect our words and our actions, how it would change the way we interact with people, very frequently offering to pray. That would be our natural response to, to the things that we talk about with other people. Let's just, just pray about that. Let's let God meet us here and handle the difficulties that are out of our control. Think about what would happen if we would surrender those things to God and see how our speech and our actions are affected by choosing a different influence for our hearts instead of letting the world around us make us into what they want us to become, that we would pour the influence of God, guarding our hearts from those other influences and instead caring for people, serving the kingdom, encouraging and living in a completely different way. The wisdom of discretion teaches us how this process affects so many parts of our lives. And Proverbs, throughout this incredible book of the Bible, teach us about different aspects of life that really would benefit from this idea of discretion and restraint. Discretion with truth is just one, one example. The discretion with the truth keeps us from gossip. In Proverbs 11, verse 13, says this, A gossip betrays confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. We have to be careful with information that we have. Just because we have information about someone else that's true doesn't mean that we should share it with every person that we encounter. We, we should show some restraint. When we're not careful with information, find ourselves in the realm of gossip. Now, most of the time we would say gossip is, is false information that we're spreading about people. We easily recognize those, those lies as gossip. No, 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 you, that's, that's wrong. You shouldn't be saying those things. What happens when, when we have information that's true? What, what are the boundaries that keep us from gossip? What are the boundaries around that truth? Well, the first boundary is permission. I mean, you know information about someone else, but you don't have permission to share it, and you do anyway. You're stepping into that realm of, of gossip. Truth that you've been given permission to share, well, that's, that's acceptable. But, but information you have about other people that you've discovered on your own that has been told to you in confidence is not yours to share. It's dangerous and can often be harmful. Maybe you don't know why. Maybe you can't comprehend how. But the reason that person said, please keep this confidential. I want to talk to you about something, but I don't want anybody else to know. It's personal, and they understand how it could be damaging, even if you don't. Gossip disregards that damage. Damage that truth would do if it were spread around. Confidentiality protects the heart of the people we care about. It recognizes the damage that words can cause. Confidentiality reminds us that our relationships are built on trust. And we honor people when we protect them and their information. The danger we have in being a part of a church, being involved in Christian circles, is that 
we have constant temptation to share information that we shouldn't. We call it prayer requests. And all the time we face this very difficult temptation to talk about things that people probably shouldn't know about in the name of praying for these very particular things. Now, some of them we've been given permission to share, and, and it's helpful to know details when we pray for people. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong. By all means, we should be praying all the time for all the people that are part of our church and the people that, that we care about, extended family and friends that live around the world. We, we're praying all the time for people. We've been talking this week about our relatives in Florida and all the, the people that they know and the people that we've encountered when we go visit, all of them suffering right now and having difficulty because of the hurricane that came through this week. And we, we've had stories to share and things that we've asked people to pray about. That's, that's always good. But we, we run into it, the danger of temptation with this kind of information when we're seeking to find out more about people. When we're desiring accumulating these bits of information that are true, digging under the surface into things that really aren't our business. Sometimes we justify that sinfulness, saying, well, I'm just going to, I just want to know so I can pray for you. It's a dangerous place for us to be. It's It's a careful line to walk, caring for people, encouraging them and praying for them, and also protecting their confidentiality, protecting their hearts, protecting their families, and being aware of the fact that maybe they're a little bit more private than I am, and they don't want other people to know their information. It's important for us to to care for people and use discretion with the truth. We can also use discretion with our words. And when when we do that, when we allow discretion to guard our words, it guards our relationships. Proverbs 12, verses 16 through 18 say this, Fools fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When we aren't careful with our words, we find ourselves damaging relationships, cutting people down as if we're using a sword. Discretion calls us to to think about the things we say, to think about our relationships, and to think the best of people. Rather than confronting every offense, rather than than pointing out every little thing that annoys us, that we would be long-suffering, that we would be patient with people, and that our words would reflect that character. Discretion calls us to live with honesty and integrity, thinking about the impact that our words will have in the lives of people, recognizing that when we're frustrated, biting and critical, those words cut to the heart of the people that we care about. But when we take time to encourage, when we take time to care for people and have genuine conversations, those, those words can mend relationships. Those words can bring healing instead of cutting to the heart. When we use discretion with our words, we, we guard our relationships and care for people who are already hurting. Discretion in our decisions, another place we can apply. Discretion in our decisions keeps us from overindulgence. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Using discretion in our decision-making helps us from tempting, being tempted into indulging in things that we shouldn't. And, and look at the beauty of this picture that's painted for us. Self-control, like a city 
with a fortified wall around it. You think about the days of the Old Testament when cities stood out away from other civilized places and, and the inhabitants of that city would build walls around their homes and businesses, thick walls, tall walls that had gates, gates where they could stop people who wanted to come in the city and question them and interrogate them, maybe even search them to, to make sure that they were protecting all the inhabitants of the city. Being very careful to keep out predators, being very careful to keep attacking armies outside of those walls. What would happen if one of those fortified cities had, had massive holes in the walls? They would no longer be safe. They could be overrun, attacked. All the influence that they would have no control letting in. That's what our lives look like when we lack self-control. We have breaches in the barriers around our lives, the defenses lowered and we're vulnerable to attack and temptation we're vulnerable to influence choosing discretion is like building strong walls around our lives that guard against temptation help us to remain anchored against the influence of the world around us when we use discretion with judgment there's another place we can apply it discretion with judgment brings understanding proverbs chapter 17 verses 27 28 say this the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even tempered even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Now, when we're unrestrained with our judgments and assumptions, we act impulsively and can damage our relationships. We, we, when we speak from a place of ignorance, guessing things about people, making large assumptions and acting as if they're true, we speak from a place of ignorance. Without waiting to find out more information, we might... Believe that, what, that we're trying to prove our superior intelligence, but more often than not, we're simply proving to others that we value our own assumptions over their feelings. The wisdom of discretion calls us to hold back, to listen before speaking, to engage in genuine conversations, not just wait for our turn to talk, wait for someone else to stop talking so that we can say the thing we wanted to say, but instead genuinely listen to people and respond in a reasonable way. That we would learn so that when we do speak, we're speaking with wisdom and authority rather than making false assumptions. Verse 28 says, even, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. Now, I've always heard it said, it's better to, to keep your mouth shut and have people think that you're ignorant than to open your mouth and prove them right. That's what I was always told. Discretion warns us that when we speak without thinking, we make mistakes that we could easily avoid if we were to practice restraint. Now, there are lots of places where we can apply this idea of restraint, of discretion to our lives. These are just a few examples backed with Scripture from the book of Proverbs that are a meaningful way for us to think about the wisdom that we walk in, the way our relationships grow. When we allow the Word of God to guide us and to lead us, to guard our hearts and guard our mouths and guide our paths. But this idea of discretion is expanded upon as we continue reading through, through the book of Proverbs. And we learn that the wisdom of discretion keeps our emotional reactions in check. Proverbs 14.3 says this, Fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Now on several occasions, 
on Sunday mornings, we're talking in our sermons about the, the, the condition of the world today. We, we've made this observation together. I've, I've said this out loud. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. But I've, I've noticed that in the world today, people are ready for an argument in a way that is more prevalent than it ever has been in, in my knowledge. That people are ready for, for a fight. And those arguments escalate quickly. And they become personal. Instead of focusing on, on the, the topic at hand, those arguments begin tearing down the other person almost immediately. This is a vicious attack involved in the way that we are arguing with other people. And the reason is because we're reacting emotionally to the things that we're talking about instead of thinking clearly, instead of addressing the issue One of the reasons why we have come to this place is the use of technology. Now, technology in and of itself isn't bad. It's our use of this technology that's brought us to a place where we are having these kind of escalated arguments. We've gotten accustomed to having constant connections with people who don't understand our context, who don't understand our point of view, who are far removed from our lives, and yet we're connected with them in conversation instantly. We have this idea that because we're communicating with the, through, the, through a screen that there's an anonymity that, that protects us and we say things that we wouldn't say to someone if we were looking at them face to face and eye to eye. We forget that we need to respond kindly instead of reacting emotionally. We need to speak the truth in love. And for some reason we're given this courage to say things that we would never say to another person just because we're, we're typing them quickly in a text or posting them on a social media account. Discretion reminds us that we're still communicating with a person even if we don't see their reaction to what we have just typed. That we still need to consider their hearts in the way that we're talking to them and even arguing with them, being encouraging and recognizing how dangerous a path this is. Another danger of social media is that it provides immediate crowd support for all the comments that you make. As you post and argue and comment, other people chime in, and instead of helping, they escalate that argument pretty quickly, don't they? And those, those comments become arguments in and of themselves. These extra voices make things dramatically worse rather than bringing reason and accountability to the discussion. What I find most significant in these interactions is that we forget sometimes that everything that we say is public and permanent. And it affects our relationships. It can affect our careers. It can affect our lives outside of this social media platform. These comments that we make, these things that we say to other people, they don't go away. Even if later you come back and think, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that and delete. You have no idea what the people who saw that did with your information, if they copied it and reposted, and you have no control over how it's been used. And even if you delete the original post, that information still exists. And it's not a private conversation that you're having with one person. This is something that, that all the world gets to see. Proverbs 21, 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. We've come to a place where we have forgotten about these safeguards. You think about the time in our lives when the fastest means of communication was email. 
This is a little, a few years ago, when the fastest way to get a hold of somebody was to type an email and send it. And as you, after you've typed it out with some formality, you know, dear sir, sincerely, that you had a moment to reread things before you hit send. There was at least a pause so you could evaluate what you were saying to another person, one-on-one, privately. Let's roll back even further. When, when handwritten letters were the way to communicate, and you had, to, you had the time of forming your words by hand to think about all the things you were saying. You had this, this built-in safeguard of, of the thought process that continued as you were writing out those words. And then deciding whether what you had to say was worthy of paying money to put postage on that information and drop it in the mail. So much more time to evaluate the wisdom of those words than now, it's gone. And without a second thought, we have said things that we most likely shouldn't have ever made known. Technology has progressed, and those barriers that once slowed down our thinking reactions have been eliminated. And so we need to practice discretion and restraint. We need to make those decisions ourselves and allow the Lord to guide us and not be driven by emotional reactions, but instead to think carefully about how our words will impact the people we're communicating with. The wisdom of discretion guides our hearts, it guides our our words, and it should also guide our decisions. And the wisdom of discretion guides us to use discernment when we make decisions. And we've been talking a lot about restraint, about how discernment holds us back and, and slows us down so we can, we can use wisdom. But discernment is an area that, that holds us back so that then we can go farther. There's a slight change in this progression. This is an area where, where discretion calls us to go the extra mile. First, we, we think about limiting our selfish decisions so that we're free to make selfless decisions. And when we have those moments to evaluate what we do, usually we have an internal argument with that little voice in our heads. You can call it a conscience. More accurately, you should probably say it's the, the prodding of the Holy Spirit working in your life to remind you of the things that you should be doing to care for other people. These arguments, these internal arguments, usually come up when you're in a hurry. This is when the Lord really works on me, is when, I'm, when I have things to do, appointments to get to, I'm in a rush, and I'm in the grocery store knowing I've got to get home and get dinner for the kids so they can get to their practices and all these things, and a little old lady drops her, her purse, or more likely the suitcase with a strap on her shoulder. That's what my grandma had, had this giant bag she carried everywhere with, with extras of everything, just in case she would need them. She's got gum and breath mints or keys and a package of Kleenex and pens and pens. Something in, just in case an occasion would come up that she would need it. She, she had horrible back problems. I think part of it was because she just had this massive thing she carried. Anyway, so it's, it's this still small voice that, that calls out to you when you see this lady who's having trouble bending over and getting her things. And you think, you know, I should really stop and help her scoop those things back into this giant suitcase. But then you say, well, you know, I, I've got to get home. I've got things that my whole evening will fall apart if I don't stay on schedule, but she needs help. Have you had those arguments? You walk out of a store and you, you get away from the door and then you see somebody carrying all these things in their arms and you think, I should probably go back and get the door. 
Wouldn't that be a kind thing to do to help them out? But I'm already past it. It would be weird for me to go back. It would be awkward to then say, no, 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 let me get it. There are times when that argument is enough to deter us from going the extra mile, from using discernment. And maybe there are times when, when you purposely have that argument longer than you should internally, knowing that the moment will pass if you can just argue with yourself a little bit longer, that opportunity will no longer be there. Somebody else will step in and help you say, okay, they got it taken care of. I can go on my way. We have these, these moments all the time. Maybe moments of discernment that we know we should follow, that we know we should be going the extra mile. The wisdom of discernment guides us to think clearly and carefully about what we want to do before we act. Choosing an alternate way of thinking that isn't driven by me, but is instead driven by what God wants for me, God's will. We think about how hard it is to discern the will of God, how hard it is for us to, to understand the mind of God. How do we even begin that process? Now, the passage we read at communion time helps us to begin that thought process. Romans chapter 12, let's, let's go right to verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Discernment is this process of, of making a decision about your heart, about your words, about your actions, now specifically what we're talking about, that you'll no longer to allow the influence of the world to press you to become more like the things you see around you. You'll no longer be a reflection of the character, no longer be a reflection of the habits, of the, of the mindset of, of what's going on around you. You'll no longer be packed into that mold. But breaking free of that mold, you'll allow your mind to be transformed by the power of the Spirit working in you. Now, as believers, we know that the Spirit begins working that process in us at salvation. Book of Acts tells us that when we repent and, be, and we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiven of our sins. And the Spirit begins this work in us as we continue reading through the New Testament, that, that we are made new in Christ. The, the old sinful self dies and we begin a new life in Christ that happens now, but also is a progressive work that keeps happening in us as the Spirit molds us and shapes us to look more like Christ. That we are being transformed, especially in our minds being transformed to understand the will of God so that we can test and approve what that will is that's good and pleasing and perfect, that we begin doing those things that we now discern because of the way the Spirit is shaping our minds to understand what God wants for us, that we would, would recognize these opportunities, that we would recognize what, that God is calling us to intervene in the lives of people in significant ways. And sometimes that intervention is, is small, and it might be brushed off as, as meaningless, but to that person, it, it's valuable. To that person, it might mean the difference between depression and, and hope. That we would be present in the lives of people where God places us to help them see his love through us. That we would become an encouragement as an expression of his love, reminding them of their need for Jesus. It's these moments of discernment that that God allows us to understand by the Spirit working in us. These decisions that we're called to make when we live according to this wisdom. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the wisdom that comes to us through the book of Proverbs. 
We're grateful for, for the way that you speak to our hearts and to our lives. God, I pray that you would guard our hearts. You would help us make wise decisions about what we pour into our lives, that, that we then would be careful with our words, that we would be careful with the things that we choose to do, that we would honor you in all things and care for people so that they can come to know you better. God, we thank you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.